awesome. Good job, guys. Well, listen, before we jump into this, uh, before we jump into this last message of my family, God's design, uh, let me mention that next Sunday, next Sunday morning at the end of the service, we're going to do a special Easter offering. My, in the early service, my daughter, during the offering, the, you know, the plate comes or the bucket comes by, you know, and it, I don't put anything in it during the service. So she, she notices everything. How many know the kids see everything? Okay. We're going to talk about that today a little bit, but so she watches it go by and she looks over at me and she goes, when do you give? Hello. And I whisper, I say, I give online. I do my tithes and offerings online. She goes, oh, well, obviously I knew that you were giving. So anyway, uh, I thought that was cute. By the way, our kids do see. They do see whether we're putting in the offering or whether we're not. Uh, but next Sunday, after the, the end, at the end of the service, we're going to take up a special love offering for everyone who's a part of New Life Church. Not if you're visiting or anything like that, but if you're a part of the church, I want everyone to give something towards our Easter services. It, it takes more money. We have to do some things to our sound system. We have to do some things on the grounds, and we're going to do some extra follow-up and printing and things like that. This is sowing a seed for souls. Amen? I thought I'd get a little bit more from you from that. We're sowing a seed for souls. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want you to pray now about what you would give. The amount is not the issue. It's being obedient. God can. God doesn't need our money. That was cute. God doesn't need our money, but we need to learn how to be generous. That's part of what we do. So just keep that in mind. Well, I can't believe this series is, is coming to an end. I'm going to have to move this back because your face is behind me. There we go. All right. I do want to see your face. Uh, how many have enjoyed this series, this family series? Have you enjoyed this? We, we have, uh, I have. Every week we've tackled something so important. If you remember in our first week we talked about uh, oh, and by the way, if you've missed any of these, you can get onto our website. It's on the board, newlifecanton.com, and you can get on there and listen to the podcast or the video cast or all of those things. I encourage you to do that if you missed anything, because in week one, we talked about something beautiful. And the, the, the big idea there is that if God could do something with the mess of Jacob's family, come on, then he can do something amazing and beautiful with our family. And then in week two, I had Kathy up with me. We talked about God's design for dating and marriage. We talked about sexual purity and all of those things. That was the most watched video cast that we have done so far. It's been very popular. Uh, we talked about at the end of that, that the big idea wasn't this caveman mentality of men are on top, you know, oh, and, and women have to submit and all this stuff. That's the, kind of the way people look at Paul's teaching sometimes. But the first thing Paul says is we submit what? One to another. That's first, before any of the other stuff. So we made a covenant together that we would submit one to another and ask, hey, how can I serve you? I hope that you're doing that. And then in week three, last week, we had a very difficult subject, a very divisive, controversial subject, especially in the church, homosexuality. And I'm telling you what, 
God helpeth, God bless. There have been so many conversations that have come from that message. People have called me, texted me, asked to meet with me. Even a pastor that, that doesn't go here got word of that, contacted me. We were in a meeting together, and he said, I, I would not do it. I just wouldn't talk about it. But when I heard how you did it, grace and truth, he said, now I feel like I have a plan. I have a way that I feel like God, that we can, we can talk about that in my church. It just blew my mind how many, when I said the thing at the very beginning. I said, everybody deal, everybody's family is going to be touched by this in some form or fashion, and that was just confirmed over and over. So if you missed that, please watch that from last week. But once again, I've asked my wife, Kathy, to be up here with me. Can you welcome her back up to the stage? And the reason I have is because she knows a whole lot more about our subject today, and that is, that is parenting unfiltered, confronting the social media fantasy. Parenting unfiltered, confronting the social media fantasy. Now, just like last week, I said this message is for everyone, and this message also, that the, the things we're going to talk about are for everyone, not just parents, but especially parents, okay? So, Kathy, here's the scene. You come home, and I know this is the scene because this is what she does, okay? So, you come home from a, from a, a long day, your teacher, been with kids all day long, and you just kind of, you know, fall on the couch and get your iPad or whatever and just kind of veg a little bit. We need that, right? And then... You kind of scroll through Facebook a little bit. You're kind of going through that. And other than the useless cat videos and pictures, what, what do you see? Well, lately more and more advertisements, which I don't like either. But um, I also see all of my friends' wonderful vacation pictures and their new cars that I'd like to have. <laughs> And um, all of their kids and their amazing accomplishments, their awards, um, you know, their singing debuts, all those wonderful, lovely things. It, isn't that amazing how it's just everybody's happy, happy, happy? I mean, it's so like, happy. you know, so, so, okay, you do that and you're scrolling through, so then what happens? Well, I mean, let's just get honest, then I get jealous. I mean, let's just call it what it is, right? Because I was real jealous of the new car that my friend had. Yeah. I was thinking, man, I need a new car. Mine's only two years old, but <laughs> it'd be nice to have a new one, <laughs> right? Um, and, or I start comparing myself. I start comparing myself to, to everybody else out there. And well, we know what that does. It makes us real irritable. And um, sometimes, not me, but... People tell me that they snap at their spouses and stuff. No, you would never do that. Never. It never happens. Never. Um, well, here, listen, this is what's happened. We've fallen victim to the social media fantasy. The social media fantasy. Now, the staff was very helpful. They helped me put together a photo album that would represent better what we're talking about with this, this social media fantasy. So let's, let's look at, at picture number one, photo number one there. <laughs> Isn't that creepy? Anyway, so that's, that's representing, that's, that's our happy family. That's, 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 the, that's the picture that we put up on Facebook. I wouldn't recommend that one particular, but that's what we put up, the smiling, happy faces. Now, Russ is doing such a phenomenal job in this picture. I think we need to get a closer, closer view of that. There you go. <laughs> awesome stuff right there.
Go back to the first one. Okay, so there's our happy family photo that we would see on Facebook. But the pictures we don't see that are just as much a reality are more like this. So once again, Russ is doing such an amazing job that I think a close-up is necessary. <laughs> this is demon-possessed Russ. This is Russ without Jesus. The Academy Award definitely goes, goes to our youth pastor on this one. Now, let's, let's continue on with, with, with the next picture. Okay, so if you'll notice on the left side of the, the picture there... Um, uh, we're getting very close to an impact with that, with Joel and Adam, and Joel's trying to get out of the way. Go one more. He doesn't quite make it. Let's get a little closer look at that. Yes, right there. And just Adam has this, this, this smirk, or I don't know, he's like slightly amused by hitting Joel. But how many parents can relate to the, these pictures? Come on, be honest. This is more like it, isn't it? All right, take that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, now, so if we could boil down the social media fantasy to three words, what do you think they would be? I'm going to help you. Life is easy. Life is easy. If, you, if your life doesn't look like this, you're doing it wrong. If your life isn't fantastic like this picture, you're missing out. And in the context of today's message about parenting, if your kids don't look like this, you're failing. Or if you're not taking a vacation that looks like this, you're a loser. You know, parenting is supposed to be all smiles and all fun. Now, your kids are supposed to be happy all the time. Oh, and they always make the team. Come on. They always make the team. And not only do they make the team, but they hit a home run. Not only do they make the team, but they, they score the winning touchdown. They score the winning goal. I know it because I've seen the video. Anybody else seen the video? I put the video up there. I've done it. You've done it. Now, down deep, we know that this is not complete reality. It's like reality television. Anybody watch that? It's not real, but we still watch it. There's a, there's a little element of reality in reality TV, and it sucks us in, and that's just like Facebook. We know it's true, and yet we do it anyway. I mean, we know this is the best of people's lives. You know, the video of Johnny throwing an interception is not on there. That video exists because we took it. But we didn't put that one on Facebook. Come on, be honest. But it still affects us. We know it's true. Is that, am I it right? It does. I mean, it, that's true. It, it does affect us. Um, and like I said earlier, we begin to compare our lives, our stuff, our accomplishments, our kids' lives, their stuff, their accomplishments to others. And, you know, what happens with that is when we start comparing, it removes our focus. It changes our focus from being on Christ and being the person he created us to be to focusing just on ourselves and what we do or don't have or um, what we'd like to have. So a very selfish focus, I believe. Well, we begin to think thoughts like, why aren't my kids happy? this happy? Right. You know, what are we doing wrong? 
I'm seeing all of this. What are we doing wrong? That's not happening with us in our life. Or will we ever be able to afford these things? You know, will my daughter be able to have dance lessons? Are we going to be able to go on a Disney cruise? Am I going to be able to buy a, a nice new car for my kid or send them to the right college? I have a friend. Actually, he lives in this area that I grew up with. And we, we grew up through elementary school down, right down the road in Marietta, uh, off of Terra Mill Road. We grew up in a subdivision together. We were both athletic, and we, you know, that healthy competitive boy thing going back and forth. We played on teams together or against each other. We had, you know, we were together all the time. Then we moved apart. Actually, he moved to Kennesaw. And, but, you know, we were in sixth grade, so I think I went to his house like one time after that, and then we lost touch. But the wonder of Facebook is, guess what? We've reconnected on Facebook. But I promise you, every post that he puts on Facebook, they are in some exotic location. He's skiing down these slopes, and I promise you, it's not Gatlinburg, okay? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you know, the Swiss Alps or something. He's playing golf at, like, Augusta National. He's flying helicopters. I mean, it, his life, is really like what he's posting. This dude is loaded. I'm like trying to get him to come to our church. You understand what I'm saying? All right. He hadn't come yet. Now we're cutting up. We're having fun with this. But this is real. Come on, this is real. Parenting is not easy. Life is not easy. Being a single parent is hard. It's difficult. It's exhausting. And we're, we were talking a couple of nights ago about how fear and especially guilt plays into this, and especially with this, this social media thing. It's just highlighted. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, over even just recently, I mean, this is all a lot. I mean, I hear a lot of, you know, I talk to a lot of moms and even recently some dads. We've had some conversations with some parents. And um, the theme that I'm hearing throughout these conversations is that parents feel guilty that they've made some mistakes in the past. They, they feel like some of the choices their kids have made have been because of choices as parents that they've made. And some of that may be true, but um, I remember specifically about seven or eight years ago, I was sitting in a, a little ladies group, and the leader of that group said, um, what is the one thing you're praying most about right now in your life? And, um, and it started off, and the first lady that went was a young mother, and she said, well, what I'm praying for right now is just that I don't mess up my kids. <laughs> and um, the next lady that went said basically the same thing. She was also a young mother, and it went on and on and on. And even some very experienced moms in the room made some sort of comment about, um, you know, just praying that they've not made big mistakes. And so it gets to me, and I just say what I'm thinking at the moment. And um, what, I, what I'm thinking is, as I'm listening to this, it gets to me, and I said, well, you know what? I'm not praying that I don't mess up my children because I'm pretty sure that I am. What I'm praying is that in spite of my mess-ups, in spite of my mistakes, that Jesus will be their source, that I'm not. Because here's the deal. If we were perfect parents, they would never need Jesus. 
we would be the one that they leaned on all the time. We would be the one that they would look to for every one of their needs. And the reality of it is we can't be that. Now, we try hard, and by God's grace, we're going to do the best that we can. And I believe he's equipped us to give our children that he entrusted us with everything that they need. But ultimately, what it comes down to is they need him more than they need us. Amen. I think the big takeaway with that is if what she said, if we were perfect, our children wouldn't need Jesus. If we were perfect, our kids wouldn't need Jesus. And let me tell you, we are not perfect, and our kids do need Jesus. Come on, somebody. This, this social media fantasy really is not anything new. It's classic keeping up with the, the Joneses, isn't it? It's really, that's what it is, except it's like to a whole nother level. Because before, we just had to drive by their house every once in a while and see that it was bigger and nicer and newer and that they had a shiny car out front and their kids were the, you know, the cheerleading captains and the, the football, all that stuff. But we don't, they weren't in our face. Now with Facebook, it's like every day and we let them. We invite them. It's like, I don't want to look, but I'm going to look. Well, they got new granite countertops. I mean, come on. It's reality. Uh, but the danger... You said that, haven't you? The danger, listen, the danger is what she said. It puts our focus on the wrong things. That's right. The, uh, Andy Stanley says this, and I love it. The trend in our culture is to make our kids experience rich and relationship poor. Experience or activity or stuff rich, but relationship in other words, experiences are great. Don't get us wrong. There's nothing wrong with having our kids in activities and trying to do the best we can to give them those opportunities. But experiences and things don't parent our children. That's right. We parent our children. Relationships are more important than activities. Let me say it again. Relationships are more important than activities. Would you agree with that? I do. I mean, I think, I think we can have both, right? Um, I think experiences are very beneficial for our children, but not at the expense of our relationships with our children. Right. And we need to understand that. These experiences are great, but they should never be at the expense of that relationship with them because the relationship building, that's what's going to last a lifetime. The experiences won't. Our kids need to know how to foster and build healthy relationships, not just score the winning goal. Um, you know, no one ever comes into my office for counseling and says, you know what, my problem started when I didn't make the varsity basketball team. That's right. or, or I turned out this way because I didn't get to see the Eiffel Tower in person. Or all my problems, I can trace everything back to that fateful day when I turned 16 and my parents bought me an ugly old car. My daughter's sitting over here. She's about to turn 16. I wanted to make sure that one was in there. Now listen, listen. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time when people come see me for counseling or anything like that, it's about relationships. Relationships. Think about this. If aliens were in outer space, and they were watching our parenting habits. 
They weren't interacting with us. They were just observing and watching what we did. Would, you not, would they not conclude that the most important aspect to parenting was getting our kids involved in the most expensive, time-consuming activities that we could find? Come on. They would assume that if our kids stood still for more than five minutes, they would explode. That they would just spontaneously combust. They would conclude that the big idea to parenting is keeping our kids busy and giving them whatever they want. Hey guys, come on. The problem is real. We're right there with you. This is not us thinking, hey, we've got this. Not at all. We are right in the middle of this. We have kids that are from 11 to 18 that are in the home. Come on. We're right there with you. Now, our motivation is, is good. We're parents. We want them to have more than we did and be able to do more for them, but we forget. This is on the board. Write it down. Good relationships are what make life fulfilling. That's right. Good relationships are what make life fulfilling, not being busy, not more activities, not having more nice things. So our kids grow up, and they don't know how to cultivate healthy relationships, but they know how to fill up their calendar. And now it's even harder because we can't even get, have a conversation with them. They only know this. Come on. Have you, anybody seen the Chick-fil-A thing that they're doing now? If, if you'll come into Chick-fil-A, if you'll have dinner at Chick-fil-A, they have this, this box. It looks like a Happy Meal. And they're calling it the cell phone coop. And if you'll come in as a family and you'll put your cell, turn them off and you'll put your cell phones in the cell phone coop and close it up and have a complete meal without anyone using their cell phone, they will give you free ice cream. It's, I mean, if a fast food restaurant is seeing the need for this and willing to give stuff away, this is real. Let's, let's, let's look at what the Bible has to say. That would be a good idea, wouldn't it? <laughs> Our primary text is Proverbs 22.6. Will you read that for us? Sure. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. Train up a child. That means hands-on. That means active parenting. That means relationship-based parenting. And to train up our children, listen, we're going to shift here to a real practical part of the sermon, okay? Real practical. Kathy's going to take it and talk about some things. But to, to, to train up our children, we need to know how they think. We need to know, based on their age, you know, their psyche and how they think and how they're going to behave and the best methods to reach them and to have a relationship with them. Kathy has a background in this. Her degree is in psychology and child development. She's been taking care of kids since she was a kid herself. She's been doing this for a long time, and she's a wonderful mother and all these things. And, yes, she paid me to say all this, but no, I'm just kidding. She really is. This is her area. Will you take us through the five stages of parenting? Yes. Let me, let me say this really fast. I'm not an expert, but Alan is right. This has been a passion of mine, so I've been a student of um, child development for many, many, many years. And when you're studying that, you know, lots of different people have different theories, different ideas about it. There's lots of information out there. So what I'm giving you today is based on something that is very related to me, okay? 
um, that I have found to be very true throughout all of my years of working with children and as a mother. So um, just going to kind of give that disclaimer. But these are five stages of parenting that we go through. And the first one on the board is called needs-based, but I like to call this more the nurturing stage. And this actually occurs when you're from pregnancy um, all the way up to about 18 months or so. And this is the time of bonding, okay? Um, when a mother is pregnant, she's beginning to bond right away. She's already beginning to take better care of herself as soon as she finds that out. You know, when the baby begins to move, all of those things are times when you're bonding. And then when the baby is actually born, what are we doing? We're constantly meeting their needs, whatever need it may be. And it's important for us to realize that if they cry, they need to be picked up, right? They need to be talked to. So you're building that secure attachment. And then when they begin to say no and know what they're saying, <laughs> which mine did that really young. Really, really um, young. It was crazy then that's when we move into the next stage, and we call that the discipline years or the authority stage. And I like the authority stage better, and I want you to think and remember this one because this happens at about 18 months, from about 18 months to five years. And during that time, you are establishing your authority over your child. You're teaching them who is in charge, hopefully, because I've seen some kids teaching their parents who is in charge, okay? If you don't establish this during this age, then when they are 15, you're going to have some issues because I had a 2-year-old and a 15-year-old in my house at the same time, and the 2-year-old was throwing a temper tantrum, and the 15-year-old was throwing a temper tantrum, they looked exactly and they the same. looked the same, okay? So when they're doing this in Target and you're concerned what people are going to say of how you discipline, stop worrying about that. Just discipline your child. Amen. Let them know you are in charge. You are the authority figure in their life because you know what's better for them than they do. Okay? Now, if you do that and you build that and you establish that, then we can move successfully into the next stage, which is the training years. Or Yeah, the training years. And during this time is when they start school. Okay? They're going into elementary school. And now you let up a little bit on that discipline, and you're doing a lot of just um, setting expectations. You're letting them know, okay, this is what I expect out of you socially. This is what I expect out of you educationally or academically. This is what I expect for your future. We want you to become a you know, productive member of society as an adult. So you're using these years, and I think these are actually the easier years, okay? We're letting them make mistakes. We're teaching them through their mistakes, and here's the key. We love them unconditionally when they make those mistakes. Got it? Okay, so if we do that, we build on that. Remember, each of these stages, is a, it, we're building on that foundation, okay? So then the next stage that we get into is called the coaching years or the interdependent years. And when I think about this, this is from like 12 to 18. In my opinion, there's really kind of two different stages here because middle schoolers, <laughs> oh, my God. Could we just get rid of the middle schoolers? Oh, that's I'm just kidding. But once they hit that teen years, that 12, 13, it's like aliens have come down and possessed their bodies. We're like, who is this kid, right? Because what is happening is they're reverting back to those early two to five years they're trying to figure out who's an authority because how many of you know a 13-year-old knows everything? They know what is best for them. They know what they should do, and mom is real dumb, right? Um, 
So they are beginning to learn again. They're reestablishing. And it's important, parents, that at that point you let them, you know, remind them you are still in charge of them. And then they move into that coaching stage. And that happens around high school. And at that time, we have to give them a little bit of opportunities to make decisions because you know what? They're going to be adults soon. And we need to be able to know that they can effectively make good decisions before they move out of our house, right? Um, again, during this time, we're coaching them through it. We're helping them to see, well, this, this is what could happen if, if you make this decision, and this is what could happen if you make this decision. And we're kind of giving them a little bit of, of opportunity to make those decisions and coach them through that. And then this final stage that I want to talk about is the um, – departure, friendship, mentoring stage. And I give it three different things because departure is hard. <laughs> it's hard for parents. Um, now, I feel like we kind of went through the departure stage early with, with Ashley because going to Uganda and all those things gave us an opportunity to sort of get our minds wrapped around that. And our, I didn't cry. Our daughter went on a mission trip for a month. Yeah. Right before she went off to college. Yeah, but, another story for another day. Yeah. Um, because she came home with malaria. Malaria but, about that. But we'll tell you about that another time. So anyway, <laughs> she did not make a good decision that trip. Um, anyway, so when I took her to college and dropped her off, I didn't cry. And then I felt bad. I was like, shouldn't I have cried? But I was like, <laughs> she's tired. You know. Now she had friends yelling at her from across campus, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, she's going to do so great. I'm so proud of her because, you know, she already has friends or whatever. But the departure stage, so they can do really well with this or they can really not do well with this. And our, our, our son, Chuck, did not do well with departing. Um, now, Ashley has moved sort of from departure to mentoring. We're doing a lot of mentoring with her. You know, we're not there. We don't talk to her every single day. We may text her at the evenings just to say, hey, love you, miss you have a good night, whatever, but we don't spend a whole lot of time talking with her except for once or twice a week is all, and she certainly isn't asking our permission to do stuff because she's living on campus, and she's making her own decisions, and, but we're still mentoring. A couple weeks ago, she called when it was snowing, and she wanted gas money is really what it was, and um, she says, hey, could I get some gas money? Me and some friends want to run up to Nashville in the snow run and visit. And I just went, I don't think that's a good idea, and this is why the weather report's saying da-da-da-da. Her daddy gets on the phone and says, do not leave campus. She did not leave campus. She stayed right where she was supposed to, out of respect for us. But my point is, she's in that mentoring stage. We're still correcting her as necessary, but she's making her own decisions. And then Chuck is in the friendship stage. And thankfully, he's got to a place where we enjoy spending time with him. We enjoy spending time with his family. Um, we do a lot together. We laugh a lot together. But we don't offer counsel unless he invites us to offer that. Okay, we're friends. Did so, y'all hear that? That will save a lot. Some of the parents that have older adult children. Yes. Don't be just calling them up, bugging them, telling them this is the way they're supposed to be doing. They're adults. Yes. They are adults. If they invite you and ask you, then you can really connect in that way. Yes, yes. we don't assume he needs our help, okay? Um, and we may think they do, but we don't make that assumption and we don't interfere unless he calls and says, hey, got this situation, what do you think about it or whatever, which we're very proud of him and he's doing such a good job. But anyway, 
Um, so those are the stages, and if we understand those, and if you can find your way relaxing in each one of those stages, if you're real successful in the first early stages, you're going to be successful, I believe, in the later stages. That's right. An illustration came to me during this whole week and in a couple weeks we've been preparing for this, and I don't have time to really get into it too much. Basically, parenting is like driving a car. Parenting is like driving a car. Think about it. There are times in, when the road conditions are so serious, you have to have both hands on the wheel, and you have to completely concentrate on what's going on. I drove in a, in a snowstorm a year ago on the way to ski, and there was no conversation. There was no looking around. There was no easy. I was like this for 18 hours. I'm not kidding you. 18 hours. It was awful. I was exhausted, and that's kind of like those discipline years. It's all hands on deck, isn't it? It's like in the middle of the night. They're crying. They're this. They're that. It's exhausting. But then there's other times in our driving that it's like a, a long straight road and it's, it's a highway and there's, it's dry and it takes very little effort to keep the car in the middle of the road. But the danger there is going to sleep at the wheel. Now that'll preach. It's true. And that's what happens when the kids get older. So we have to remain focused just like driving no matter how easy or hard it may be at that time. Now, She's talking about Chuck, and many of you know Chuck and his wife Sarah were here a few weeks ago, uh, but many of you that are new don't know, but we took a, a boy into our home. I was a youth pastor at the time, 19 years ago. He was 12 years old. We didn't have him during all those stages. Here he came into our life with all the baggage of losing two parents at different times, and, 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 and his family was, was in all kinds of drugs, and, and, and they were drug dealers his family, all this stuff. And so he came into our life, and for a couple of years, and oh, by the way, we were in our early 20s. How many of you in your early 20s would have wanted to bring in a teenager into your home? We, it, was, it was crazy, <laughs> crazy. And listen, it was only by God's grace that our marriage remained intact and that we stuck with him. But you know, when he was 12, 13, it, was, it wasn't that big of a deal. But the problem was, in those couple of years, I was being more of his friend. I was being more of a big brother instead of a father. And then when he hit 15, 16, all hell broke loose. And I'm not exaggerating. He did everything he possibly could. He rebelled as hard as he could. He was in trouble with the law. The judge knew me by name. I'm not, I'm not lying. It was difficult, and we're kids. We're in our early 20s at the time, and she's pregnant or just had Ashley. Okay, it was, and so I, that guilt she's been talking about, I, I carry a lot of that because I feel like I really, I took my hands off the wheel. I feel like I wrecked the car with him. And then we were talking about this the other night, and she said, you know what, I have a different perspective on that quickly give that. Yeah, um, as we were talking about that, what I said to Alan was, you know, Alan, I don't remember it quite like that. What I remember is both of us really doing everything we knew to do um, to keep him on the right path, to help him make the right decisions, to help him make good choices. And, um, you know, he worried that he didn't go to enough baseball games and that sort of thing. But I remember you going to those baseball games. And the problem was what happened for us was it 
no matter what we implemented, no matter the discipline tactic that we tried, and believe me, we tried lots of things, <laughs> no matter what, he would rebel against that. And he was rebelling very fast, very hard, to a point where we finally had to go, we can't do this anymore. And at that point, we took our hands completely off. And what we mean by that is um, just before he turned 18, he moved out on his own. And um, we had to allow that to happen. It wasn't what we wanted, but we had to allow that to happen. And so we took our hands completely off. And when we did that, we were able to fully commit him to Christ. And I'm not saying we hadn't done that in the past, but at that point, we had no recourse. There was nothing we could do for him He was out anymore. of control. He was out of control. Some of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. He was out of control no matter what we did, no matter what we said, no matter how we fought physically sometimes. It was terrible. He was out of control, and then, and then he moved out, and we had to take our hands off. The hardest thing I've ever right. done. And not, not just take your hands off, but you've got to give him, completely give him to the Lord. Right. Completely give him to the Lord. Um, and God is good. And God is good. And today, he's 31 years old. He's, uh, he loves the Lord. He has a wife, children, and we enjoy that relationship. God is faithful. faithful. Yes, God is. is faithful. As we, as we close, I want to share a passage that's very practical about some things and ways we can keep that relationship with our kids strong. But listen, also point them to the Lord. We cannot ask Jesus to come into our kids' hearts. They have to come to that decision on their own. But we can influence that, and we can pray for them, and we can do certain things to help that come, up, come to be. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 says, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you. Basically, the commands were the law. So in our context, it would be the Bible. It would be the Word of God. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the Word of God, to living according to and by the standard of the Word of God. Kathy, if we don't value this, if our kids don't see us reading the Bible, if our kids don't see us studying the Word, if our kids don't see us praying and having devotions together, if our kids don't see us making church attendance a priority, if our kids don't see us lifting our hands in worship and engaging with the Father, if our kids don't see us valuing the things of God, then they won't either. Verse 7 says, repeat them again. Repeat this again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road. I love that. It says on the road. They didn't even drive back then, but I'm on the road with my kids a lot. You know, all those activities we're talking about, how many are taxi service? Come on, just be honest. How many parents are taxi service? Well, while you are taxiing, reach over, grab the earbuds out of their ears. Come on, you're the parent. Pull them out and have a conversation with them. Talk to them. Spend time with them as you're going down the road and even maybe talk about the Lord. Find out what's going on. It says on the road, when you are going to bed and when you're getting up, Moses is basically saying if they're going to get this thing, if they're going to get it, you're going to have to be intentional about it. It's not going to happen by itself. Now, we by no means, by no means do all of this well. I mean, everything perfectly. We're still learning. Even as many years as we've been doing it. But can you maybe give a couple of things that we've tried that have worked? 
Yeah, you know, we established very early on with our girls especially um, different things like daddy-daughter dates. They started doing that at a real young age, um, which is very important, I feel like. The other things that we've done, we always make sure that there's at least, at least, sometimes it's just this, sometimes it's just one night a week, but we really aim to two to three nights a week sitting down as a family at the dinner table. Cell phones down. Yeah, away, no distractions. Sitting as a family, having an actual meal together, right. and talking about the day. We do devotions together. And let me say this too you know, especially when you have teenagers, it's important that you're asking questions of your teenagers. It's important that you are having conversations. One thing that I feel like we've done fairly successfully is um, anytime there have been issues that have come up, we've discussed them very honestly with our kids. And what I'm finding. With, especially with our two older teenagers, is that they are and have been making good decisions because of the influence that we've had with the words that we've said Amen. and the actions that we've taken. And we try real hard to answer them with a lot of love, but with real honest answers. So you've got to establish that open communication um, and understanding their strengths and weaknesses. You know, I, I know, Ashley, I, I have to handle her one way, and Sarah, I handle a different way, and Rachel, we handle a different way, because their personalities are very different, and I could crush Rachel's spirit really fast, um, I can push Sarah away really fast, and Ashley will shut down on me if I just say no to her, without allowing her an opportunity to, to you know, give me an argument, so you've got to know your kids, and really spend time with them having those conversations. Listen, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's right. Our kids are fearfully and wonderfully made, and it's not cookie cutter. They're all different for a reason. For a reason. And what she's saying is you've got to take enough interest in learning your kids' personalities, how they're wired. She's Like she said, with Ashley, our oldest daughter, you can't just do a no or she will shut down. She'll do it anyway. And then she'll do it anyway. Uh, you know, and she was going through that, you know, with Rachel, who's not in here. She's downstairs helping downstairs. You know, she has a very sensitive spirit, and so you have to be careful. Whereas Ashley, she's, it's a different thing. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? Get to know your kids, and it's not cookie cutter. You have to handle them differently and love them that way. Can we thank Kathy for being up here today? Thank you. I want to give you the big idea. We've gone a little long today. That seems to be a thing here recently with this series. There's just a lot to say. Come on, there's a lot. This probably should be a seminar, but I know you wouldn't come to that, so we're doing it in church. <laughs> the big idea is a little bit lengthy as well, but it says the social media, social media often propagates the fantasy that parenting is about providing bigger, better experiences for our children. We push back on that. We battle that. We come against that by training up our children to value relationships over activities and by teaching them about the character of God through our own consistent example. Don't get me wrong. Offering our kids the, the fun activities and all of that, we do that. It's okay. Don't go in debt over it. Come on, do what you can. 
Your kids will be okay for those things that you can't do. Rachel's in soccer. Sarah's in dance. Uh, Ashley's at Lee University. We, we, we sacrifice and we do those things. The point is experiences and activities should never overshadow or become more important than relationships. Relationships with them and relationship with God. Jesus summed the whole Bible up. Love God, love people. Love God and love people. Would you stand with me?